are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Luke chapter 22, please. Look with me beginning at verse number 31. I, I was thinking the other day, so talk to my preacher brother and they they talk about how they get sermon ideas and what what really gets them going and they talk about you know reading a bunch of sermons the greatest thing i can do is to sit and hear some guy preach that kicks open a million preaching doors to me i hear some guy get on one point man my mind just just runs wild um i guess it's a couple years ago now i was sitting on a tuesday night soul winning admonition time and Brother Tom Apusin was bringing the message. And man, he sat there and he brought this message. I thought, good night, what a sermon. And my, I started making notes and jotting down uh, illustrations and outlines. And so Brother Apusin is going to come now and preach that message for you. I said, Brother Tom, i got to preach that sermon. Where'd you get it? He says, oh, some guy that was dead and they put it in the sword of the Lord. Uh, I don't want to be like Biden and totally plagiarize without giving proper credit, but uh, the source of this, uh, the source of this uh, sermon was God. The conduit was some dead preacher, Brother Tom Apusin, and now me. But uh, yeah, <laughs> one that's dying right now. Luke chapter twenty-two, please look with me, beginning at verse number thirty-one. And Brother Tom, I do love you. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, then he sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Boy, isn't that something to know that God prayed for you? You say, boy, I wish I knew he was praying for me. He is. The Bible says he is at the right hand of God the Father, ever making intercession for us right now. And then he says, I have prayed for thee, what? that your faith would fail not. Did you notice that He didn't pray that you wouldn't have any temptation? Did you notice that He did not pray that you would never have a tough time? Did you notice that He did not pray that you would never (coughs) wrestle with any kind of problem? But He did pray that your faith would fail not. Boy, don't get the idea that you're never going to have trouble, but do get the idea you don't have to fail. Amen? You don't have to turn over your faith to doubt and indecision. Then he goes on and he says this, When thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And he said unto him, this is is Simon's response back to the Lord. He said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. What we're about to take a look at here are some steps that Peter took on his way to spiritual destruction. This is not necessarily a corrective message for some of you, as maybe it might be a preventive kind of a message. However, for some of you, it may be a corrective message. All I implore you is that you listen carefully to what the Scripture has to say as we're going to look at it together this morning. And if God speaks to you, would you please allow Him to have His way with you this morning in your own heart? Our Heavenly Father, we love You with all of our hearts today. 
And Lord Brother Trever said it well. I was thinking about that when he said to the visitors, it's no accident that they're here in the time I'm preaching. And, and to our guests, I was thinking about some of the college kids that are home today and how they probably just want to hear their own pastor, and that's the way I'd feel. But Lord, I, I pray that you would just help me to have the power of the Lord upon me as I bring this message. And I pray that you would give us open hearts and minds and willingness to listen and to hear. And when we're all done and we go our way this afternoon, may we honestly be able to say, <clears throat> it's been good to have met together in the house of the Lord. That's, that, that's what I, I desire of all my heart, dear Jesus. Save those that might be here without you. And God, please encourage your own. Revive us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I preached in his church on the Sunday that they had a record-breaking Sunday of 860. At that time, one of the largest churches in all of New England. I remember hearing when he started the church. I remember going down and having lunch with him and walking out to the property when they were building the new building and how he's kind of discouraged and he went to show me his new property because they got several of the walls built up uh, with, with blocks and, and some devil worshipers that had heard about a Bible study he was bringing came one night and kicked over and bashed over with, with uh, vehicles all of his block walls and smashed it all to pieces started back from scratch. And then to watch the church finally get built and they moved into it in a beautiful colonial type of building and then that big Sunday, and I had the privilege of, privilege of being there with him and had a great day. I remember he came out here to visit me. Went to San, San Francisco to look around, went to Alcatraz and showed him all the stuff that people want to see, and he come out here in this area. And I remember I took my daughters into uh, one of the downtown department stores there in San Francisco. They're just little bitty things, and bought them a stuffed animal. I, I think they probably still have them around the house somewhere. He's what you call a good friend. And I remember how I went and wept when I heard how he left the ministry. I absolutely was devastated. And the things that I heard surrounding his leaving the ministry that were just so troublesome. And somebody came to me, a mutual friend, they said, Brother Davis, how in the world can that happen? How can somebody, as a teenage young man, surrender his life to be a preacher, go through what it takes to get through Bible college and all that that takes, and then go through all that it takes to start something from scratch, going into town where nobody knows you, just you and your wife and your family, and knocking on doors and getting a church built. And then all of a sudden, after having seen such wonderful success, have this kind of a epitaph over your ministry. How does it happen? And I said, it doesn't happen all at once. It happens one step at a time. As a matter of fact, could I show you how it happens this morning? Could I show you how this will happen if you're not careful to a daddy in this room? He said, well, I'm not a pastor, but this still applies to you and your family. It applies to you as a Christian. Could I show you how... Somewhere between now and the next ten years, there's going to be an empty living room. 
where daddy used to reside with a happy wife and children, but now daddy's gone? Can I show you how, if you're not careful, there's a spot occupied in a Sunday school department where you stand and teach the Word of God that's going to be looking for a new teacher someday because you allowed this thing to occur in your life. I want you to pay close attention. It begins with this statement. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. By the way, the truth is I can insert everybody's name in this room in that statement and it's true. Wally, Wally, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. By the way, the devil doesn't just want to cause you to have a bad hair day. He doesn't want to just mess you up for just a moment. He wants to absolutely take you and pulverize you physically and spiritually. He's not satisfied with stubbing the spiritual toe. He wants to sift you. He wants there to be nothing left of you when he's done. That's why the Bible says he has a roaring lion going to and fro seeking whom he may devour. He's our arch enemy. And don't you ever think that you can play with him and that he kind of likes you and you can start the game and finish the game and stop the game anytime you want to. He does not play by those rules. It starts with that statement, look out, Satan desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And it continues with this statement that Peter made back to the Lord. He said, Lord, look, I'm ready, man. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die. What are you praying for me for? Why don't you pray for James? Or why don't you pray for Judas? Or why don't you pray for Matthew? Don't pray for me. I'm ready to go to prison. As a matter of fact, God, mark it down. I'm ready to die. By the way, that was his first step. His first step on his road to spiritual decline was thinking that he was exempt. By the way, that's your first step if you're not careful too. Thinking that it will happen to somebody else, it won't happen to me. I'm going to tell you what I know about Wally Davis. I know Wally Davis well enough to know that there's not a story that you've heard that I could not fit. Well, there's one story. I would never be a homosexual. You say, never say never. I'm telling you, never, brother. Now, getting drunk and going wicked, those kind of things were, but I've never been tempted. Never would be tempted. But beyond that one, okay. But listen to me. I don't know what kind of story that you've heard about some acquaintance you've had. You say, boy, that's terrible. That's too bad that they had that kind of awful thing happen to them. Let me tell you something. Teenagers, there's not, a, there's not a young woman that's selling her body on the street corner tonight. And you look and say, boy, how could that happen? That it could not someday happen to you if you're not careful. The first way to do that is just to say, I am not going to think I'm exempt. Matter of fact, when the devil tells me he's going to get me and sift me as wheat, I'm going to think he can if I'm not careful. I'd preach Sunday morning and Sunday night down in San Diego, California for Brother Doug Fisher. What a wonderful, exciting church that is to have the privilege of preaching in. On Monday and Tuesday, there was a time I preached on Sunday and Brother Treber would come in on Monday and Tuesday and they had like a three-day kind of special meeting thing there. And, 
And Brother Trevor came and preached on Monday night that night, and I stayed over because I wanted to hear him preach and hang around him a little bit and go out to eat. Thought he might pay for the meal. But uh, he always does. I looked around while the people were gathering for that Monday night service, and a man walked in. I thought, good night. I, that guy looks kind of familiar. And any of you have ever had the opportunity on vacation or whatever to visit Brother Fisher's church and, and his older building before he rented his new facilities, when you're, in the, when you're inside the pew, I mean, you're stuck there until the millennial reign of Christ. You could not get out. Their pews are that far apart. It's worse than riding on United Airlines. And Come on, fellas, I'm just joking. But uh, it's worse than riding on Sardine Airlines. But uh, I saw this guy come in, and I was in the middle of this pew, and I finally realized who it was. I began to ask people, let me out. i got to get out of here. It was the man who preached some 20 years ago, the night that I surrendered to be a preacher. Had not seen him in over 20 years. I did not know that his son was heading up the Spanish ministry for Brother Fisher's church, and he was there to visit his son. His name is Brother Shindell, a missionary down in Mexico. Went back there and hugged his neck. He looked at me and he said, Boy! He said, You're Wally! I said, Yeah! And we got to fellowshipping and renewed our acquaintance again. And he said, Look, we're having our 16th anniversary. I've been in Mexico 16 years. And in those 16 years, I've started 16 churches. Will you come down for three weeks and we're going to go preach. And every single one of the churches have a big uh, meeting where they all come together. And I want you to come do the preaching. And this will be great. And I said, boy, I'll come. Got down there, landed in Mexico City, and had that big kickoff meeting. And several hundred folks came to that big kickoff service. And then, the next three weeks, we traveled around to all the villages where he had planted those 16 churches. I was in towns like you and I might recognize as towns, and Mexico City, is that, it's a town. But then most of the places where we went, absolute poverty. We were, I was all the way down in the southern part of the state, just, just, uh, just a little ways from the, from the southern Mexican border, Guatemala down there. And I was in some towns where the poverty just absolutely amazed me. I mean, you can read all the National Geographics and see those documentaries you want to, but until you, you've seen it, I, I, I was broken. It just amazed me. One of the young men down there found out we were coming, and he, wanted, he knew we'd been sleeping on dirt floors. We'd been eating things that only God knew what it was. Uh, my missionary buddy promised me, he said, I, I promise you, I won't let you get hurt on this thing. He said, you'd watch me if I... If I tell you it's all right to eat something, I know what it is and it means it's okay. If I, if I sort of push it off to the side, don't eat it. I said, okay. We got to this one place and bless his heart, this young preacher and his wife, they lived in a little kind of a hut thing, dirt floor, just in one room and had a little outhouse kind of a thing out back. And um, <coughs> we sat down there to eat. Brother Shindell said, now Brother Davis, he said, they can't understand me. He said, I want to tell you what the deal is. He said, I don't know what this is. He said, it looks pretty bad. He said, but I overheard our preacher brother talking to his wife, and I'll tell you what I found out. He said, I've got to eat mine. I said, what'd you hear? He said, he spent one week's salary so you and I could eat well tonight. He said, this is a big treat for them. I don't know what it was either, but I ate it. I uh, couldn't let that kind of sacrifice have my nose snurl up at it. 
It wasn't all that bad. I had a few amoebas to get rid of later, but... Uh, I don't know why when I get into some of these churches, they had this big billboard there. They, they recorded, they'd write a greeting to everybody. And by the way, a billboard to them was, uh, not a billboard, a blackboard to them was a real special deal. And they had always had these little greetings written out for me, the Americano coming. And they, they sort of got this idea after hearing me preach at that opening meeting. They all said, welcome El Grande. I, uh, I don't know why they said that about me. I was a little bit offended. One of them said, welcome El Grande or El Gordo. I, uh, I didn't know what El Gordo meant, but I could assume that it meant I was shaped like a gourd. I, I'm not positive, but I uh, said, okay, you know, they, give me some more of that amoeba stuff. I'll be looking thinner in a little bit of a while. But Got into this town and welcome El Grande. And man, they made a big deal out of it. Bless your hearts, most of those fellas lived in their little church buildings. By the way, their building were all these little poles sticking out of the ground with a grass thatch kind of a roof on top with a curtain pulled across the back of the building where they laid down and slept on a cot. That was their room. And by the way, they were happy. They were happy people. This guy didn't want us living like that anymore and we came to his town and he found out about a rich man in his town who had a brother who worked in Chicago that was building a regular kind of house there. He got us in that house. I mean, I, for the first time in several weeks, I slept on a bed with a mattress with a house with walls and a floor and a roof and running water. Not the kind that runs when you pour it out of a dipper. I mean running water. Hot and cold running water. And it had a ceiling fan. It was hot and humid and tropical kind of a uh, climate down where we were preaching at that point down in southern Mexico. And just getting ready for bed and just praising God that I was inside, no dirt floor, an actual mattress and a pillow and an inside facility and a shower with hot and cold running water. And I was figuring out how long it was going to take me to use up all the hot water. I was going to just let it run. and I was excited about it. And all of a sudden I heard the national pastor begin to call, El Grande! El Grande! A key! A key! I thought, man, he was excited. He found a key. But, uh... And I realized, oh, oh and I got, okay, that means come here, come here. So I went running out there behind the building where he was and he was, boy, he's just, I don't know, I don't know, boy, just, and I thought, boy, something's really got this boy all worked up. And he's pointing to the wall. And I was looking, and all of a sudden I saw this thing about that long, black, gold trim on it, little tail curls up over the back of it. And somewhere along his jabbering there in, in speaking in what was my unknown tongue, uh, he said something about a scorpion. And I looked, oh my goodness, a scorpion. And my missionary buddy came about that time, Brother Shandell, and I looked at that, and he, he's talking to the fellow, and I said, if that thing stings you, would it make you sick? He said, no. Makes you dead. <laughs> I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, no. It'll kill you. And I began to think this isn't fair. Just a couple days before, I'd had to call home to make some arrangements for, for my return flight. And we had to drive 90 miles one way just to find a telephone. And I thought, man, if that thing stings me, they've got to drive a long way to dial 911. And uh, I'll be dead before they even figure out where I am. 
I went back in my room and he told my missionary buddy, be, tell, brother, tell Brother Davis to be careful. They like living inside these homes. They like the brick walls. They, it's kind of warm in the nighttime and they're going to be in there and tell him to look out. And then he picked up a stick and he squished the thing to death. I thought, man, that, it's going to make his, it's going to make his friends mad. We just killed Joe. <laughs> going to come avenge his death. I went back in that room. I was looking under things, in things, on top of things, through things, around things, beside things. I just knew that Joe's buddy was in there and he was mad. We just killed his brother. So I laid down on that bed and I said, I, I'm not going to go to sleep tonight. I, this thing's not going to sting me, man. I'm going to keep, I'm going to be on a scorpion watch all night long. I laid there and I was writing on a journal trying to keep records of things that had happened while I was on this trip and Finally, I got tired about 1.32 o'clock in the morning. I said, man, i got to get some rest. So I got up. I looked around all the place. I said, okay, I'm going to turn off the light. I'll tell you how fast I am. Before the glow had faded in the light bulb, I had made it from the light switch back to the bed. Laid on the bed just listening because I thought I was going to hear a little scorpion feet walking around. Okay, lights off. Let's all go. You know, move out on the count of three. Here we go. I'll meet you at sector six. I didn't hear anything. I thought, man, I got to go to sleep. So I started doing the getting in there, going to sleep mode. You know, you get your head all in the right spot. And you, you ever seen an old dog lay down? And, you know, before he lays down, he crawls around. You know how you do when you get ready to go to sleep. All of a sudden, my leg bumped up against something about that long and it didn't move matter of fact it held its ground i said okay i'll move be that way i don't believe in levitation but i i did do it one time in my life i just ah you know how you get so afraid just man i just ah and I somehow staggered over and flipped on the light switch and turned around and looked on the bed where my leg had just bumped up against this thing that wouldn't move. And there it was, black, gold trim, about that long. No emotion. Just glistening in the rays of the light bulb. And I started laughing. It was a black ink pen. <laughs> I'd left laying on that stupid bed when I was trying to figure out how to go to sleep from writing in the journal. I was so intent on watching for the scorpion, my ink pen scared me to death. So I broke the ink pen in half and threw it outside. No. Can I tell you something? If you're so on watch for a scorpion that your ink pen gets you concerned, you're probably not going to get close to the scorpion. Here's what I'm getting at on this thing. I was not taking anything for granted about this scorpion coming and stinging me and making me dead. 
And neither do I want to take anything for granted that Satan, that roaring lion, that wicked one, that devourer, that accuser of their brethren coming to me and sifting me like I'm wheat. I don't want to get close to him. Well, if he starts my direction, I'll move off out of the way. I don't want to be around where the devil is. I don't want to run with the devil's crowd. I don't want to take any chances watching what the devil has me to watch and think that I can escape it. That's when you fall. You fall when you think you're exempt. And by the way, pal, you're not. And ladies, you're not. And teenage young men, you're not. And teenage young women, you're not. And college students, you're not exempt. And preacher Davis, neither are you. Every disaster story that you've ever heard, I could enter into it if I'm not careful. And so could you. By the way, that's step number one. What I, if all I accomplish today is getting you to be afraid of your ink pen, then I've gotten something done. If all I've accomplished today is getting you to be serious about this thing, of not wanting to have anything to do and associate in whatever manner with the devil's crowd, then I will have accomplished, I believe, what God wanted me to accomplish this morning. We play around with sin as if it's some kind of pet that we can throw outside when it starts to misbehave. And that's not the case. Because that little pet that you're kind of stroking on the head is very capable of destroying everything that you hold dear. What is it, Brother Davis, that causes a man to go from where that preacher went to where he ended up? Step number one, thinking you're exempt. There's a second step, and I want you to see it there at verse number 40. Verse number, verse number 40. Talking about the Lord here, it says, And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed the more earnestly, and his sweat was, it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. There was a group of men there that were supposed to be praying and watching with the Lord. And instead of doing what God had asked them to do and had commanded them to do, they fell asleep. Could I tell you the step number two when you're on your way down spiritually is your prayer life goes to the devil? Your prayer life goes right out the window. As the Word of God says here, literally, your prayer life goes to sleep. You know, if uh, Brother Romke came walking in the back door tonight, staggering, hanging onto the wall, draping himself across the pews as he walks down the aisle, and you walk by him, and you're glad you don't have a cigarette lighter because if you lit it, the whole thing would blow up. The fumes coming out of his mouth, alcohol. You'd say, boy, I can tell Brother Romke is drunk. Or some young man comes in tonight, his eyes all dilated, and he's acting kind of weird, and, and, you, and you see the, the, the railroad track marks, the needles leaving your arms. You can say, boy, he's been injecting himself with drugs. And you can identify that sin that has grabbed hold of somebody. Can I tell you, sin that grabs hold of a bunch of folks and it's not so readily observable. You can walk into this room tonight, your hair combed, your tie tied just properly, carrying the King James Bible under your arm and sitting down with your pen and your notebook and taking notes on the pastor's message. 
and be in the midst of the sin of prayerlessness. And nobody, unless they know you real well, probably will be able to detect that for the two or three hours that we hang around each other at church every single week. In other words, step number two is letting your prayer life go to sleep. Look at me. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this one this morning, but listen to me. The most difficult thing in this world for me to maintain is not necessarily my Bible reading. I'm on track of that thing and read it through, not as often as I should, but read it through several times a year. Half for many years. The most difficult thing for you to keep maintained is your prayer life. Because nobody knows. Nobody can check up on it. No one can walk into the room and see, oh, there's some socks there. He's not, oh boy, he's untidy here. Boy, look at all the things he's laying around. No one can see. But God does. God looks down and he sees us when we ought to be praying. He sees us asleep. I'm looking into the faces of some wonderful folks this morning. But I'm sure I'm looking into the faces of some good people whose prayer life has gone fast asleep. And if you're not asleep, you're groggy. You're staggering. Some of you are in a coma. Some of us have died. The prayer life is gone. And you think, boy, I, I've got to do this and this and this because people can see that. They can see if I'm teaching the class. They can see if I'm going soul winning. They can see. But prayer is something we kind of push aside because nobody can observe it. God can. And step number two, your prayer life goes down. You think you're exempt, man, you're on a stair, you better be careful. Your prayer life has gone to sleep. You're on step number two, you better be careful. That leads us to the next step. Look down at verse number 53. It says, When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. You know what? There's a whole bunch of God's people that follow, but you're not as close as you used to be. We look out there and you occupy a place in the pew, but your Bible remains shut the rest of the time when you're at home. You're following, but afar off. It comes time to witness and speak up for Christ and you sit there silently, but you still come to church and you still listen to the choir and you still hear the preaching. You're following, but you're far off. It comes time for you to maybe get involved in some ministry at the church and pastor says, let's have a work day. And you come and you work and, and it's something visible that you do to make people think you're right on target. But in your private walk with God, you're afar off. And God says that's when you set yourself up for the great fall. I'm going to tell you right now, that precious friend of mine did not walk out of that pulpit instantly. He did not fall out of that pulpit in a catastrophic uh, accidental fall it was one step at a time that he took step number one I guarantee you he never dreamed in a thousand years that would happen to him I guarantee you when you used to sit down together at the coffee shop at Bible college and dream and talk about pastoring and preaching he never dreamed that he'd ever walk out on the ministry but it happened one step at a time just like it happens to the precious people in this church one step at a time if it does happen think you're exempt no you're not your prayer life goes to sleep 
Step number two, you're following, but you're following afar off. You're not anywhere near like you were when you used to love Him with all your heart and all your mind and all your body and all your soul. And that leads to step number four. Look at it there in verse number 55. When they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. Here was the crowd that was killing Jesus. Peter went over and said, can I sit down with you around the fire? And he started running with the wrong crowd. Can I tell you something? The wrong crowd always makes it comfortable for you to transition over to them. Peter, come on. Man, it's cold, a little chill in there. Here's a fire. Come sit down and warm yourself next to the fire, Peter. Okay, here I come. Drive down the road and there's the billboard. Some inappropriately dressed lady that is wearing some kind of a black velvet gown is there on that billboard and is saying, please come drink our liquor. Look how much fun you're going to have if you just come and run with us for a while. And the old body begins to say, boy, that would be fun for just a while. I can go have my fun and then I can stop and I'll go back to where I was. No, you won't. You start running with the wrong crowd and after a while you become part of the wrong crowd. Why folks around this church, not this one only, around the country, there's a wrong crowd inside even the walls of this auditorium if you're not careful. That crowd that begins to cast dispersion upon the leadership of our pastor, that's the wrong crowd. That crowd that begins to question every decision that's made by the leadership of our church, that's the wrong crowd. Boy, you give me the crowd that hears about starting a college and says, Hallelujah, let's do it. That's the right crowd. Don't run with the naysayers. Don't listen to the gossips. Don't entertain the critics. It's the wrong crowd. And don't you dare sit down by their fire. By the way, they always build their fire somewhere else. Dragging you away from this one. You want fire? This pulpit's hot enough for me. In fact, I'm sweating right now. Run with the wrong crowd. Boy, you guard your Walk with God with every spiritual strength that you have available to you. That includes walking with God, and that includes walking in this church and in its ministry, and that includes loving and praying for and following the leadership of our preacher. I would tremble to join the wrong crowd that leads me away from Christ. I would tremble to join the wrong crowd that causes me to become critical and doubtful about the ministry of North Valley Baptist Church. Well, you must know something. I don't know anything except I've been around church work for over 20 years and I just know how the devil works. Well, someone told you about me. Well, it wasn't anybody that you know. It was the Holy Spirit. Wait a second. That led to an unbelievable step that Peter took. This one, I, I can't even imagine it. 
Well, look at verse number 56. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire. By the way, don't be by the stupid fire. Get away from there. Don't be sitting around that fire. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. The him there is talking about Jesus. She looked at him and said, Boy, this guy was one of those Christian guys. Verse 57 says, though, And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the same man who said, Jesus, don't worry about me. I'm ready to go to jail. As a matter of fact, write this one down. This will impress you, Lord. I'm even ready to die. Well, that guy who was ready to die for Jesus just got through saying he didn't even know who he was. How in the world does that happen? One step at a time. And by the way, it always starts on step number one. If you don't take that one, you're not going to be on the other ones. I can't imagine Peter saying to that little girl, young woman, no, I, I'm not one of them. As a matter of fact, just to let you know how much I'm not one of them, I don't even know him. Brother Davis, that, that, that step is never taken by God's people. Really? I wish that's a true statement, but it's, it's not. I've known in my ministry... I've known even preachers that have taken that step. I went to a school with a guy that set his five-year-old daughter on his lap after he left his family. And he said, honey, Kate came back for one of those parental visit things. He said, honey, daddy wants to apologize to you. People that were overhearing the conversation were kind of happy. They thought maybe he was going to apologize for what he'd done to his wife and his daughter. Here's what he said is, I want to apologize to you. I want to apologize because I've taught you things as you were growing up in my home that were nothing but fairy tales. He said, that Bible's not true, and I apologize for making you think it was. And he went and he went down the list about Jesus, and he went down about him being born of a virgin. He said, that's all a bunch of junk. It's not even true. And I'm sorry that I've tainted your mind with those thoughts. That was a man that I sat in Bible college with. A man that I heard stand up and preach in class gatherings. A man in whose church I had gone and preached and had the privilege of being in his pulpit. Making that kind of a statement. By the way, while you're sitting there saying, that could never happen to me. Look out, you're on step one. It's amazing what the devil can do to a mind when he gets hold of it. And that's what ruins most of us. We just don't know how powerful of a foe he is. Then look at this one. It says in verse 59, About the space of an hour after another confidently affirmed saying of a truth, this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. 
Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he spake, the cock crew, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Some of you have seen some stairs that your feet have either trodden upon or that you're standing on today. Now what do you do? Well, the choice is very simple. When the conviction comes, and by the way, if you're on the stairs this morning, I, my prayer to God is that you're convicted. I'm not wanting to soft soap it. I'm not wanting to kind of balm it over some kind of salve. I want you to feel absolutely miserable right now. And then I want you to do something about it that will make you feel good. But it's your choice. It's your choice to say, yes, Lord, I understand what it is that you just brought to my attention. And by God's grace and with God's help, I want to do something about it. That's what Peter's choice was. When he heard the rooster crow, oh man, I remember what the Lord said. Good night, I did it, I denied him. Now you can do nothing about it or you can get right with God. I just finished preaching in Brother Dwight Tomlinson's church for the school chapel. We went out and had lunch. One of, one of his church members owns a place of business down on Balboa Island down there. And went and had lunch and we were going to take a walk down to that place of business. And uh, it was kind of a little boardwalk right along the, the, the inlet there and all these sailboats and beautiful, beautiful looking area. As we're walking along, Brother Thomas, I said, Brother David, look over there. And I looked at a table he was looking at, and I, I saw this man sitting there. looked like he's about 60, 62, 3, in that area. And wasn't bald, but, but, but just beautiful white hair. And he had on a pair of those, uh, I don't know what you call them, pants that people you ride bicycles in that look like just another set of skin by the way that's the definition of gross in the dictionary that that man's picture is there with him wearing those shorts gross there's a picture of that man and he had on a shirt but it's kind of open all the way down to his belly button his old gray hair hanging out and a necklace around his neck had a cigarette going here and drinking a cup of coffee i looked and i said well yeah i i see why why he said don't you know him i said no he said, yeah, you do. I said, no, I don't. So we got in a fist fight, and I proved it. No. I said, I, I don't know him. He said, Remember, he, I, he said, I think you'll know him. He said, at least you know his name. He said, let's, let's go. He said, I got to go say hi to him. So I followed along. I did not know him from seeing him. Brother Tomlinson walked up, and he called him by name. He said, man, how are you doing? The guy looked at Brother Tomlinson. He said, do I, do I know you, sir? Brother Tomlinson said, well, think you should he said I've preached for you on several occasions the guy said oh yeah Dwight Thomas yeah I know you well how you doing where you at what you doing all that getting caught up kind of talk man talked about his sons one was a youth pastor in a church another son was music director in a church we got ready to walk away brother Tomlinson said sir I hope you don't get angry at me I've got to ask you this question. He said, 
Don't you ever get hungry or lonely to have it back like it was when you were living for the Lord? Found out later this man was living with a woman who was not his wife. Sitting there smoking a cigarette. And I guess there's worse things in the world that you can do than smoke a cigarette. But sitting there smoking a cigarette. Living in adultery with a woman. <clears throat> and that guy looked at Brother Tomlinson. He said, slammed his hand down the table. and said, that's the trouble with you guys. Always judging. Always passing judgment. He said, I'll have you know I am right with God. Brother Tomlinson said, I'm sorry. He said, I, I know what you used to be, sir. And you're not what you used to be. Forgive me. Brother Tomlinson began to weep as we walked away from that guy. I said, Brother Tomlinson, who is he? He said, Brother Davis, that man has pastored two different churches, each of them averaging over 2,000 in Sunday school. He said, I am amazed at what happened. There was a guy when confronted with right just said, you guys are always passing judgment on me. I am right. In other words, he rebelled. But the Bible says when Peter's eyes met the eyes of the Lord and was confronted by the Lord Jesus, that Peter wept bitterly. I find there's something that's happening in our churches and in Christian world today, we have lost, some of us, when God convicts, we've lost the ability to respond to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. The brokenness is no longer there. The tenderness has long ago escaped us. And we just keep plowing through life. Nothing phases us one way or another. I tell you what, that guy's still living in adultery, wickedness. Peter repented. And the Bible says that after that encounter with the Lord Jesus, Peter brought a message and had over 3,000 people saved in one service. Steps to spiritual ruin. I wonder in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, or in the next year or the next three months, which one of us will be a catastrophe. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNBBC.com for Christian music you can trust.